We are kicking off our Advent season, and uh, we're excited to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Um, I don't know if you've ever, I, I was reading the bulletin, and um, as the women get together for Christmas, they're going to have a gift exchange. And uh, gift exchanges make me super uh, uncomfortable. So what happens in a gift exchange is everybody brings a gift, right? And then you draw numbers out, and then you get to pick first. And then, uh, then someone can steal that gift, like they can open up their gift and, and uh, steal that gift. So essentially, here's, here's the way it's viewed through my eyes, okay? The person who brings the worst gift gets publicly shamed. No one wants to steal it. No one wants to give it back. The person who opens it up is like, oh, man. And I guarantee you that the person who bought that gift at the time they bought it thought it was a really good gift to have at a gift exchange. And then somebody else opens up their gift, and there's that, se- that first second where you go, oh, it was $10 or less, not $1 or less. <laughs> I, read, I read that wrong. And so they go around, and my, 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 my lovely gorgeous, wonderful wife, who is um, the number one on my most favorite people, um, is, uh, I'm sorry, dude, I'm sorry, I I, I, I couldn't resist, I couldn't resist. Uh, uh, but uh, we go, every year we go to this Christmas dinner with her college friends and their spouses. And every year it's an ornament exchange. And um, every year the women go and do the ornament gift exchange and um, the men feign interest. And so um, we watch. And there's always that one ornament that, that it doesn't get taken. Like, like, like we've literally been doing this for 25 years. I have 25 ornaments on my Christmas tree from these dinners, right? And they all have a story and everything. But there's always that one person And they always feel horrible. So like a gift exchange to me is just an opportunity to feel horrible. Same with potlucks. You bring the dish, I'm always like nobody's gonna, like what if you bring the dish nobody eats, right? Then I always just feel bad. It makes me feel uncomfortable, right? But here's the the thing. Sorry, I just messed up women's potluck and gift exchange. All right. That's all. You guys will get over it. So, so, uh, but here's the thing. Jesus came and he gave us some gifts. And he gave us the gift of hope and the gift of peace and the gift of joy and the gift of love. And he brought those things. And you know what he says? He says, let's have a gift exchange. I'm going to give you this really awesome gift. You give me whatever's in your pockets. You know, you got lint, you got a, a button, whatever. You just give me whatever it was like. Whatever you can muster up, I'll take that gift and I'll give you a gift. And this morning, we're going to talk about the gift of hope and how we can exchange despair and outrage, which is what our two things we're addicted to in our country, uh, despair and outrage for, for hope. So I wanted to read this famous, it was about 700 years before Jesus was born. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate light and life 
coming to us. First Peter 1.3 says it this way, Praise be to God, our Father, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living, what is that? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What I want to talk about this morning is how we view the world can really affect, we can really miss out on some things that uh, God might have for us. I, I use the term outrage because, but really it could be despair or worry or just a, a, being consumed with what's happening around us. And I just wrote this down. Our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty God has for us every day. As we look through the world and we look at, 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 at the things that we're concerned about and we allow those things to distort our viewpoint, it can distort the beauty that God would have for us every single day. I read a book that changed my life um, besides the Bible, okay? I, I, don't get upset. Uh, but it's called Seven Effective People. It's very famous. Uh, start with the end in mind, you know, it's a win-win, all, all this kind of stuff. But I've, I've shared this before. There was this one page in there, just kind of an obscure page in one of the chapters that talked about your circle of concern. And, and so everybody has this circle uh, of concern. And so in, in there, you'll see things like government and religion. These are things we're, we're, we're concerned about, income inequality, race relations, uh, you know, maybe the 1% or wh whoever they are. But these are things and that you, you might really be concerned about. You, maybe our education or climate change or in football concussions or the economy or immigration or sexual identity. I mean, all these things that you're really concerned about. And, and it's important to be concerned about those things. Don't, don't get me wrong. It is. But God has given you another circle, a far more important circle. I can be concerned about the poor, or I can actually have in my circle of influence, I can do something about it. And in your circle of influence, you've got your family, you've got ministry, if you're volunteering in ministry. And so you have these, this circle of influence, something you can actually do. So I can worry about the next generation, and I can watch news and read articles and talk about how the next generation doesn't get it. We, you know, they don't work as hard. They don't blah, blah, blah. Or I can volunteer in children's ministry and actually affect the next generation. Does that make sense? That's in my circle of influence. So you have a circle of concern and you have a circle of influence. Our circle of concern has very little hope. As we receive the hope of Jesus Christ, my circle of influence has tons of the hope. This is a gift exchange that God has given us. And what ends up happening is, as we focus on our circle of concern, our circle of influence shrinks. You ever met that person? You ever met that person that's always talking about all these other things and they're at the party or they're at the thing and they, they're always talking about these things and nobody wants to talk to them? If you don't know of a person like that, it's probably you. Um, and, and so, you, you, you know, it, the circle of influence, like, I, I don't want to talk to them because all they're going to do is talk about government or all they're going to talk about is the economy or all they're going to talk about this as we focus on this circle of concern our circle of influence shrinks and this is the life god wants for you that your circle of influence overshadows your circle of concern you are just too busy producing <laughs> you're too busy investing in your own family 
and those around you. You're too busy working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You don't have time to worry about which way the world is going. Does that make sense? And so, so what I want to talk about to this morning is how we can exchange outrage and despair with the hope of Jesus Christ. That it is in fact the story of Jesus, the hope of a, a, of a relationship with my heavenly Father that fuels my circle of influence. That it's that hope that overflows so that I begin to, what, 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 can, what can bother me? What can bother me? You say, John, these things are very, very important. I stay up on all the po- political things. God bless you. I, go get it, right? I'm glad. But the reality is there's very, 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 very little you can do about any of those things. I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything, but there's a ton you can do with a next-door neighbor, with a coworker, with a partner in ministry. There's a ton you can do with those in need. There's tons you can do for the poor rather than worried about the poor. There's things you can do even in our own church for homelessness rather than being worried about homelessness. You can actually do something. I'm so proud of this church. I mean, as Jonathan was mentioning, you know, we can sit all day and pray for our schools, and we should, and we should find out about, you know, how we can get involved. But we're working with 30 different schools this year, over 30 different schools this year, to try to get Christmas to 1,000 of our neediest kids in our neighborhoods. That's a circle of influence. That's actually doing something. And it comes at great expense for all of you. I realize that. And so what I want to do is, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you, because there's stuff to be concerned about, but how do you actually practically trade in outrage and receive hope from Jesus? Like, is there anything in the Bible that would give us some clues on how to do that? And there is, and it's found in James. And James is one of the most practical Bible, uh, books in the Bible. And the one thing I really like about James is James was Jesus' half-brother. And one of the reasons I believe that Jesus is God is because he convinced his half-brother he was God. And if you can convince your brother you're God, there must be something going on there. Because I love my brother, but there's no way is he going to convince me that he's God, right? So, so G- James, Jesus' half-brother, who I, I, I my, sorry, my mind tends to wander. I was thinking about this this week James probably saw God in his underwear. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? Like he lived with them. They were, they were brothers. Anywho, um, <laughs> just, you know, went to seminary. You think about those types of things. Uh, so James writes this really practical book, and here's what he says. And this, is, this will... This, Morning will affect, if you put these things into practice, it'll affect every relationship you have, now and in the future. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, pay attention. And he's, and he's th- this is very um, uh, intimate language. He's, he's, these are people he knows. He's, he's trying to get them um, uh, to change their lifestyle. Now, again, we think our political climate is tumultuous, uh, during Jesus' time, uh, it, I, I hate to break the news to you, uh, it was a little bit worse. Uh, in other words, imagine if the president beheaded your cousin, okay? That's what happened to Jesus. 
that, that the, the Pilate in, uh, uh, or, uh, had, had John the Baptist's head cut, taken off and put on a uh, platter. So that's where he was. And so James is saying, in the midst of political stuff going on, in the midst of people having no rights, they were in an occupied, they were being occupied. James writes this, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. One of the reasons why we're so addicted to outrage and despair and there's no hope is because we have lost the art of listening to one another. One of the things that I'm really proud about our church on is that um, I know most of your political stances uh, and we're split kind of right down the middle and we get along. <laughs> it's possible because we should be quick to listen. This means that we have to watch out where we're getting our information from. Is it just from one source all the time? One perspective? Because I guarantee you the issues that we're talking about are far, far, far more complex than just one perspective. And so do you have someone you can listen to that's coming from a different perspective? Somebody that you can sit and just be quiet. As we go into the Christmas season, one of the things that we'll be going to are just different parties and different gatherings and different things like that. Wouldn't it be fun, or could you imagine how different it would be if you made it your goal at the next family gathering, you were just going to listen? Do you know what an effect that would have on your relationships? Imagine, you're in a discussion with your spouse, and and maybe there's a conflict. Can you imagine how life-giving it would be if you were to just go, you know what, I'm just going to listen. Rather than, I'm going to be quiet so I can formulate my rebuttal. <laughs> actually, actually listen. And then he goes on. Ooh, this one's tough. I probably shouldn't go to the next slide. Let's pray. Lord, no. <laughs> and slow to speak. Slow to speak also means slow to tweet, slow to text, slow to post, slow to reply to somebody's reply of said post, slow to engage, quick to listen, and slow to speak. Imagine what your relationships would look like Imagine what it would look like as you enter into the, the stuff that's going on out there and it's all really big stuff. And you said, you know what? This Christmas season, I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm not going to let outrage fuel this going. I'm not going to let outrage fuel this. I'm not going to let outrage fuel this. That's a remote control, by the way. <laughs> I'm going, to be, I'm going to be quick to listen and slow to speak because here's the reason why. We have the hope of Jesus Christ in us. What could possibly be a better gift than the hope of Jesus? What, what could possibly trouble me more than knowing that I have the hope of Christ within me, that I have access to the throne of my heavenly Father, that I have 
I can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This all happens when Jesus decides to not regard equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He decided to come as a baby, to humble himself, to be vulnerable. Now, what, what possibly could happen in the news, at the workplace, in politics, that could possibly take away that hope? It's like a gift exchange, but no one can steal. <laughs> like you get the best gift and no one can steal. And then Jesus says, oh, and by the way, I got one for everybody, so don't worry about it. And everyone's like, yippee. We have our little, hey, you know, here's what's happening in the news, Jesus. He's like, I'll take that. Don't worry about that. I won't give that to anybody. Slow, quick to listen, slow to speak. And then... <laughs> is great and slow to become angry if you find yourself quick to anger there is something wrong not with you but it's, there's probably something wrong with the environment you're placing yourself in because someone who has the hope of christ what can you know the bible says this what can separate us from the love of god height death Republicans, Raider fans, well, maybe Raider fans, but uh, you got right? Slow to become angry. If I'm quick to become angry, there is something wrong. There's a disconnect between me and the hope that God has given me through Jesus because I'm letting something affect me. Now, we can get, there is a righteous anger, absolutely. Jesus, one time in the temple, sat down on a chair. He was probably mumbling to himself while he was making a whip to whip people with. Now, that's frowned upon nowadays, but uh, for Jesus, you can kind of get away with that kind of stuff because they were, they were robbing people when they come to worship. They turned it into, he turned it into an, uh, they turned it into a, a store. Slow to become angry. Is there an issue that you're quick, quick to be angry on? Now, maybe it is an injustice. Maybe there is some type of racial uh, inequality. Well, that's okay. But if you're just seeping in it all day, that's not. Maybe it, there is some ty another type of injustice that you see. Maybe somebody's being bullied or something. And, 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 and be angry and, and then do something about it. But it shouldn't just be this constant quickness. See, the way our brains work is that when we're outraged, um, it's a sh very short-term negative feeling. And then our brains are flooded with endorphins. Because what, what happens is we, it feels good to be on the right side of an issue. You feel like you can belong to a tribe like you and everyone else who believes that, and you feel like you're morally superior than the people who don't believe that. But God says that there's no place in your life for that. Now, you've exchanged the hope of Christ for this outrage, this need to be right. He says, so why is this? Is this just like a self-help, chicken soup for the soul type of thing? Like, why? He says it right here. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. It doesn't do anything but get you angry. 
I know it might feel good to read a blog and it, you agree with every last word of it and it feels tremendous. And you get done and you're mumbling to yourself and you're walking around. You can't understand why anyone doesn't believe that, what, 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 that you know, they believe differently than you do and you can't believe this and that and everything's changing. And da, 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 da. That's not the hope of Christ. You need to exchange that in. Spend some time going, God, it is so refreshing that no matter what happens, you'll never leave me or forsake me. That's quite a gift exchange. Again, our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty God has for us every day. And so James goes on, and we'll go through these next verses relatively quickly. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, right? So even James is going, it is bad out there. It doesn't mean you need to fill your mind with it all. Uh, and uh, prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you then he says this and this is vitally important this is circle of concern and circle of influence language right this is why i like that so much it really ties in with the bible do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says let me let me let me just i'm going to just give you a let me just be as honest as I possibly can. If I spent all my time doing what it says, I literally would have no time for anything else. My circle of concern, like, I don't, I don't have time. I, I, I'm, I'm, I have to work on me. It has to happen from inside of me and then flow out of that. And that is a wonderful circle of influence to be in. I can know everything about the Word of God everything but if i don't apply it if i don't do it if i don't let it transform me and my mind it's no good watch what he says he says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like watch this but whoever looks intently into the perfect law not getting sidetracked by everything that's happening outside, but just understanding that I have this hope in Christ that I've exchanged my outrage for, I've exchanged my despair for, and he's given me this word, and I begin to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That is something you can actually do to expand your circle of influence is change you through the word of God. Again, our lenses of outrage can distort the beauty that God has for us every day. And then he goes into this other thing because remember, you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then in typical James fashion, I say this all the time when I preach out of James, James writes kind of like he has ADD. And I, and I, I get that because I do have it too. And so I kind of like it because I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, we were talking about that. Oh, very cool, James. He goes back to it. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, tweets, posts, and replies... Deceive themselves. And then he goes on 
and makes a very, very strong statement. Basically, he says this. If you've exchanged these gifts, and we're going to be exchanging three more in the next three weeks, and then you disregard the great gift you have, and you go back for the gift you gave Jesus, you go back to outrage, you leave hope unwrapped, I mean, uh, wrapped up, and you go back for your outrage. This is what James is saying. Your religion is worthless. (laughs) And it is. You have the hope of Jesus. What could possibly upset you? I have the hope of Jesus. What could possibly upset me? Again, injustice, yes, be, be upset. But what, what could possibly, if it doesn't go my way, what could possibly bother me? And here I could stand and say, I have everything I need for life and for godliness. And someone could say, then why are you so upset? And I wouldn't have an answer because my religion would be worthless. Then he goes on to define religion. Religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. This is what we should look like. To look after orphans, circle of influence, and widows, circle of influence, in their distress, circle of influence, and to keep oneself, not all of America, not your neighbor, not everybody at work, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That is pure and faultless religion. Not posting on how everything's going, not, it's not the way it used to be, not the way we wanted it to be, what's happening to America. And I love America, don't get me wrong. But we have the hope of Christ. <laughs> it, it should change everything. It should be like, look, I, I, I'm not happy with the way this is going or that's going, this, but here's what I can do in my setting. I can buy toys for kids. I can work with the next generation. I can be on my knees praying every day for those things that concern me. I can look into my own heart and say, Where, is there a, uh, any deceitful way in me? Like, is there something that I should do? Look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself being polluted from the world. <laughs> 